0: We're working our way through a book. Um, we've been working through 1 Samuel over the course of the fall, which we will pick back up next Sunday. But we have taken a break um, to work through Advent, right? Remembering that Advent is um, is a Latin word. It means coming, right? That Jesus has come. And so we are celebrating the fact that He has come for us um, and, and that we are also anticipating the fact that there's a second coming, right? That we are both looking back at the cross and the first coming and we are looking forward to a second coming where where he will return for us, where he will split the sky, right where where our king will be seen and known by all, right and so we are both looking back and, and looking forward, and so we have looked at at the themes of peace and hope and love over the last three weeks, and I want us to begin this morning in a in a familiar passage in Luke, um, we will be jumping around quite a bit this morning if you want to have a pen ready to take notes or to to jot down. Um, but but this familiar Christmas passage, let's, let's read from Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, He is pleased. But where, where we're going to focus is this idea that I bring you great good news of great joy. Or some might say of, of exceeding joy. Right. So why is the joy right described as great or exceeding? As we look at the theme of joy this morning, we know that there was joy in the garden. right? As, as God places Adam and Eve in perfection and in harmony in the garden. We know that there is joy in heaven as every tear is wiped away, as there is no more um, sickness or sadness or mourning. And we see these beautiful and powerful passages of joy and of hope in Scripture. Let me just look at one of these. This is Isaiah 35. And I want you to listen to this, um, just in this idea of, of joy, that what, what is God going to bring? The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and with singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and shall the lame man leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It will belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighting shall flee away. Right? Like What a passage in Isaiah of just... What was will no longer be, right? That things are being transformed and redeemed and restored. That where there was desolation, there's life. Where there's brokenness, there's wholeness. That all of these things are being taken from what they currently look like and being brought forth in, in, in the life that was intended for them. And it, it's joyous and it's abundant, right? And there are these passages like this woven throughout Scripture. of There, there is a day, There there is a day coming where this will be the story. And so when we come back to Luke two, we know that there's been four hundred years of silence, right? Like where God has been quiet before his people. We have seen the tumultuous up and down history of Israel where they have failed often in in following and being a reflection of God's glory. They're currently overtaken right by, by foreign invaders that Rome is there. It's not a good time. It is not Isaiah 35, right? It's the the bad of Isaiah 35. It's not the good of Isaiah 35. And yet, these angels, as they come to the shepherds, say, we bring you good good news with great joy. Like, it is exceeding joy. And so I want us to ask this question, why was it joyous? Like, why was that news joyous to those shepherds? Why is it joyous for us this morning? As we've looked at the themes of Advent, of, of peace and hope and love, right, we've been reminded of our need for it, right, that we need peace. We lack it internally, that we lack it with God, and that often we lack it with one another. Right? We have seen that lived out in every regard this year, the lack of peace internally and the lack of peace in our nation, in our, in our world. We have a need for hope, right, that people are clamoring, looking for hope. And yet, that Jesus is our peace. He's the one that establishes peace with God. He's the one that establishes peace within, and that He gives us the ability to be peacemakers with one another. Right? That He has given us hope that this day doesn't have the final say. And that His love was demonstrated for us at the cross. Right? Like that we have seen peace in the person of Jesus, hope in the person of Jesus, love demonstrated by the person of Jesus. And so we are not left forsaken, right? It's like a, a down payment was made and we know the second coming will fulfill all that has been promised to us. That we are a people with peace, with hope, with love. Galatians 4.4 4 says, at the right time or in the fullness of time, right? God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Like that God had a plan in place from before the foundation of time. Right? He had a plan for Jesus to be our salvation, to be our rescue. And so this is the advent of that. It's the coming of that, that the angels are saying, all that you've longed for, all that you've hoped for, all that you've heard that might come, as you've read Isaiah 35, and as you've hoped and longed for it, He's here. He's here. And you're going to find Him as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, but He is here, and it is good news, and it is joyous news. It is exceedingly joyous news. Your rescue and salvation has arrived. Right? Like that, that would would sing forth like just reverberations of hope. And so we then see in the life of Jesus that He lives the life that we were called to live. That He dies the death that we rightly and justly deserve because of our rebellion before God. But because of his innocence, because of his perfection, that he defeats our enemies. That death is swallowed up in the death of Christ. That, that Satan is crushed, right? That our sin, the power of it, is broken. That all of our enemies have been vanquished in the cross of Christ and in his subsequent resurrection. That he's alive today, right? Like, we're not just singing to one another and to the walls. Like, we are singing to a living King. Our prayers are being heard by Him. Our, our, our obedience is being seen by Him. It's being guided and led by Him because He is alive. And so our enemies are defeated. He has restored a path back to the Father. Right? That we are no longer forsaken. We're no longer hopeless. But we have a path back to where we belong. to to joy in God, to enjoy Him for all time. And so the themes, do you see how in Advent they build, right? That we're reminded of the need for peace. That we're reminded of a need of hope, of love demonstrated, so that they, they culminate right, ultimately in Christ, which then gives us joy. That we have good news. Jesus has taken care of our primary issue. That we were enemies and rebels before God. With no way of making it right ourselves, He has given a clear path back to the Father through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If we trust that, if we follow that. He takes us back to the Father, and not only has He taken care of our primary issue, He's also promised us not—we're not going to we're not gonna be alone anymore. That He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That He knows us. That He understands that in the midst of this life that is between the first advent and the second advent, we're not alone. There's a plan, and He's with us, and He's left us His Spirit to comfort us. And so would we be encouraged? Listen to Psalm 16, verse 11. So you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore that we would define joy this morning this way. That joy is pleasure, it's gladness, and it's delight in Jesus. It's simple. That it's pleasure, gladness, and delight in Jesus. Knowing that in that, they're forevermore, and that all pleasure, all joy is in being at His right hand. It is found in Jesus. It is fulfilled in Jesus, despite any circumstance that may come. Right, so that's why the the news is is joyous. It's exceedingly joyful news. So the real question for us this morning then is this: What if I lack joy? Right? What if I lack it? Like what? What if I don't have joy? the The news is joyous. What if it's become mundane to me? What if I don't believe it? I lack it. Is this an issue? What about my temperament? I don't. I tend to be less joyful than other people. Right? Um, what about my circumstances that aren't joyous? And listen, let's be honest, some people's like chemical makeup, your wiring and your temperament, this is a harder thing for you than others. Like that that is a legitimate thing. Okay. But this year has given us an opportunity to ask the question. Like twenty twenty has been a barometer. Do I have hope? Right? Like that you've had multiple opportunities to ask yourself that question. Do I legitimately have hope? Do I legitimately have joy? Do I feel the love of God? Am I at peace? Because 2020, in the circumstances around it, it's not like it's the year that's out there as a villain, right? But the circumstances, right? We do have an enemy who is prowling around looking to destroy us, and it's not 2020, right? It's not contained in this calendar year, right? But 2020, the circumstances kind of as a collective unit have allowed us to ask the question, do I feel hope, joy, peace, and love? And I think the question we often wrestle with is like, can I have that if my circumstances are difficult? Like, do I have to have one or the other? And I want us to, to see this. This is Second Corinthians six, uh, verse ten. This is Paul writing, and he says this. Um, he goes, I'm, "I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing." I'm poor, yet making many rich; as having nothing, yet possessing everything. But I love that he says, "Look, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing." He doesn't divorce the two. He doesn't say sometimes I'm sorrowful, legitimately, and sometimes I'm rejoicing, and I try to rejoice more than I'm sorrowful. He 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 lets them be together. They're like they're they're married. That we can be sorrowful and yet rejoice. And if we turn back um, to chapter four, we see a little bit more of what's going on. In Paul's life, here. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Right? He's saying, where there is death, there is also life. And we have taken a beating, but we are not down. And, and could we not, maybe for the first time as a church, just kind of say, hey, Paul, we understand this. Like, we have felt this as a collective church this year, as, as across the country, across the world. Man, we are perplexed, we're not forsaken. Right? We are beat down, but we are not crushed. Right? Like, we, we have been affected, but we are not wiped out. Right? Like, that we see this and understand this. And so, what if I lack joy? And Paul is going to tell us you can your circumstances may be bringing sorrow, and you can still have rejoicing and so I want us to wrestle with this a little bit um if if you don't have joy, there is an issue. Can we just say that like if you don't have joy, something 's off and it 's one of two things: it could be that you don't actually know Jesus right that you have a a a knowledge of him, you have some cultural understanding or awareness of, but you don't actually know the Prince of Peace. right? And if you're not connected to Him, if you don't know Him, if you're not following Him, then you're not going to have hope and peace and joy. You're not going to have felt His love demonstrated. And so there's an invitation to walk into it this morning, to respond to the fact that He says, it's not about what you've done or not done. There's an invitation to come and eat. Those without money come and feast. Right? We don't bring anything to the table. Jesus has done the work on our behalf. But there's a the second thing here: is it, Maybe you do know Jesus. But would we be reminded, we're prone to forget a lot. Right? There's a reason we gather frequently. Because we're prone to forget the gospel. We're prone to pick up and try to be really religious people without grace, without mercy. And so we are prone to forget and we struggle to believe that God is actually good. Right, we, we struggle to believe that. And so what what happens then, and, and so not knowing Jesus and being prone to forget can look really similar. Right? And we need the Spirit's discernment there as to which camp we might fall into. All of us are going to have periods of our life where we're a little bit prone to forget. Right? We don't just get to flip the joy button like on and then it, it just stays on. We have access to it, but because we still live in a broken and fallen world, we're, we're going to struggle with this. There are going to be seasons where our, right, we're dipping away from Jesus, not walking in faithfulness. So what are some of the ways that we can look like this? Um, we run after other little g-gods. Right? We run after other things looking for satisfaction, looking for joy, right? looking for, for peace. We run after what, it, what our soul seems to clamor for. Right? And so this might be sin. This might be knowledge. This might be money. This might be power. This might be sex, right? Like we run after what it is we think will finally give our soul joy and hope and comfort and rest. And sin is devious because there's pleasure. There is pleasure. But what Hebrews tells us is it's fleeting pleasure. And so we are always left longing for more with a bigger appetite for it and finding less satisfaction in it. And so we run after these things thinking that they'll satisfy us, thinking that they'll give us joy, and they don't. Instead, we get sorrow, and they never produce enough joy. They never produce enough satisfaction. And so we're left feeling like we can't quite grasp it, like it's just out of our reach. And so we'll try something else, or we'll try something more, and we'll figure this out. The second, right, is what if I lack joy? Maybe it's not that you're running after other things to satisfy, right? But it's what what are you feeding on? Like, what's your appetite made up of right now? And a really dangerous recipe this year, any year, would be too much news and too much social social media. Right, that those things, if that's what we're gorging on, if that's what we're feasting on, if like what's the next thing, what's the newest thing, what's the latest thing? And then let's compare things on social media. You will feel chaotic. You will feel miserable. You will feel petrified. You will feel angry. These things are meant to stoke emotions that are not satisfying, right? They're not they're not joyous, they're not peace, they're not love, they're not hope. They are chaos, and they are panic, and they are fear. And listen, that doesn't mean that everything on the news is bad. It doesn't mean that everything on social media is bad, right? But if our appetite is dominated by those things, then we should expect to feel a less, less joy. We should think that there will be a lack of joy in our life. Listen to Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Church, our appetite has got to be dominated by the Word of God. That we are finding hope and peace and love and joy in them. His Word is alive, and it is able to minister to your thoughts and your desires and to your intents, to the things that you would be able to... to, to call out and claim into those things that are secret within that you might not even be able to articulate. It's able to minister to those and the Word of God will bring joy as we feast on it. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 8. So Nehemiah is, is reading the Word of God over the people. And he says this in verse 9. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Church, the news is not your strength. Being in the know is not your strength. Social media is not your strength. The Word of God given by a living God is our strength. And it will nourish us, and it will sustain us, And it will it will buffet us against the onslaught, right, that the world is beginning, that our enemy that is wanting to destroy you is going to hurl at you. So listen, we have to watch what we're running after. We have to watch what we're what we're our appetite is being fed by. But Paul would also say, especially in Philippians 4, that to rejoice, to take joy is actually a command. Like he says, rejoice in the Lord. Like and again, I say it: rejoice. Right? It's a command, and then he doubles it. We have to fight for it. David, King David, in Psalm 51:12, will say, "God, restore to me the joy of my salvation." Right? He's saying, "I had joy in my salvation. I've lost it. Would you restore it?" Right? This is something we have to work at. We have to put effort into, into rejoicing. Listen, this may mean that you have to involve others. Because if you're prone to despondency, if you're prone to depression, if you're um, prone to being a pessimist, you may need the body around you to help lift your chin. And to say, listen, there are some good things at play. Let's remind you of it. Not to preach at you, not to beat you down, not to make you feel guilty, not to say you should be more like me. But because we need one another. that we have to, like, like the old hymn says, count our blessings. Like, there is help, something helpful about going, God, what do I have to take joy in? Let me think about it. Let me put some energy and some effort and some intentionality to, to writing it out. And then you begin to realize, I have things to be joyous in. I have ways that God has been faithful to me. In church, that we let the truth of Scripture win out over our emotions. Whether our loud voices, in the world, but there are also loud voices within us, in our heart and in our mind, that scream fear and panic, that we let the truth of God's Word that we are feasting on right, begin to give us some lanes for our emotions. Our, our emotions are okay, but they don't get to rule us. Truth rules us. Our emotions are controlled by the truth of who God is and what God has said to us. And so we can feel those things and we can express those things but we let the truth of God reign. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we are taking in the Word of God. And lastly, I just, how do, what do we do if we lack joy? We have to be reminded that your circumstances don't dictate whether you feel joyous or not. Joy is not dictated based on whether life is good right now or not. Let's be reminded of this in the life of Jesus. This is Hebrews 12. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay also aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? He... In joy, because knowing that it was honoring and pleasing the Father, knowing that it was our rescue, with joy he walked forward into some difficult, horrendous circumstances for our good and for God's glory. His circumstances didn't rob him of joy because joy isn't dependent upon what's going on around us. It is something that anchors us because it's found in Jesus. It's found in the Word of God. Did listen, Suffering does not get the final say. Pain does not get the final say. Death does not get the final say. Those things do not get the final say. Jesus does. Jesus does. And we get to look back at hope at the cross and say, There's, that's, that's where it started. And He's going to come back for us, and all of this will be wiped away, and we will be with Him for all of eternity. And so I have joy in the cross I have joy in the life of Jesus. I have joy in the resurrection. And I have joy in the fact that He's coming back for us. And in the meantime, our circumstances can come and go. They can ebb and flow. And I am anchored in Jesus and in His Word. Right? So, what difference does it make then? All right, this is where we're going to end. What difference does joy make? It checks our heart motivation. Listen, church, if you are if you are feeling like your your obedience to Jesus, your your honoring, your 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 ministry is drudgery, if it's religiosity, something's off in your heart. Right? John 15, Jesus says, Listen, like as you obey me, my joy will be complete, and my joy that I've placed in you, right? Like if we see our religious responsibilities as drudgery, then we have lost joy and we are not seeing it rightly and we're not trusting Jesus. Right? That if we begin to see that the joy that has been given to us allows whatever we do right, to be worshipped, and so then whatever we do is honoring the King. And so I want to celebrate that, and I want to rejoice in that, and I want to know Him, and I want to trust Him, and I want to honor Him, and so I can do these things in joy. This is first, or sorry, Second Corinthians 1.24. Not that we lord it over, over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth saying, I'm working for your joy. Church, we should have joy. And the point of ministry is that we would be satisfied in Jesus and thus worship Him, drawing others to know Him. And so our hope and our ministry here is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for your joy that you would lay aside things that won't satisfy, that give fleeting pleasures that you would eat and drink deeply at the right hand of Jesus forevermore. In small ways and in big ways. Right? It's a way to check our heart motivation is honoring and serving the Lord out of drudgery or out of joy. Listen, listen, What difference does joy make? It helps us fight sin. Because so often, what the the church is accused of is a list of things you can do and a list of things you can't do. Man, I want to do the things I can't do, right? All right, but I'll, I'll buckle down and avoid them. But if we have joy in Jesus, if we see him as being the all surpassing glory and satisfaction, then I can fight my sin because Jesus is better than my sin. It's not just I don't want to look at stuff on the internet anymore. I love Jesus more. I don't want to just not sleep with someone I'm not supposed to sleep with, right? I love Jesus more than that. I don't want to just cheat on my taxes anymore so that I have more money. I love Jesus more than power or greed, right? Like, and so that begins to like give us fuel for fighting our sin. Jesus will not rob you of your joy by telling you you can't do something. That will bring you sorrow. Jesus is joy. And knowing Him, following Him, trusting Him, obeying Him will be joyous to you. It is fuel to fight your sin. So it checks our heart motivation. It's fuel to fight sin. And when you taste joy in difficult circumstances, right, when you see, I'm, joy- how am I? I'm, I'm weeping and joyous. How is this happening? And you begin to trust that the promises of God are true. You see, He is who He says He is, that He is giving you assurance that these things are true. That's why James would say, consider it joy, right, when circumstances are difficult. And it's not that we're supposed to be grinning idiots with smiles on our face going, I love it, this is awesome, as you're getting beat down. But it's walking in realizing, God's doing something here. He is training me. He is discipling me. He is transforming me and I am kept in his hand. This circumstance cannot remove me from him. So what's he doing? God, thank you that you're working in me. Um, briefly, Carmen and I took in a kid. When we, we'd been in our home, we were young, uh, like 24 years old, just came back from the Middle East, took in an a, a eighth grade boy to live with us that was supposed to be temporary, it turned into years. We'd been in our home for two weeks, and I pridefully and arrogantly thought, this kid just needs, right, my loving hand. He needed a lot more than that. And it was a really difficult set of circumstances for a really long time, like where I was just like, I mean, I, God, what are you doing? Like, I'm not that much, like, what is going on here? And I mean, it was, I, I am telling you stories for days, right? It was, it was a difficult set of circumstances. And I remember um, as the Lord worked and moved and got him into a a safe place with family and Carmen and I began to kind of emerge from this, I remember this panic moment flashed across me where I'm like, oh no, I just did that at 24. What's coming next? Like what is God, what is He preparing me for that I had to go through that then? Right? I don't even have kids yet. Like what is going on? Right? And it was this probably unhealthy view of James 1. (laughs) I'm going, oh no. But there was some truth to it of going, God is equipping and He is training and that nothing is wasted. And so if you're going through something, it is actually for your good. To see that Jesus is sufficient and that He is discipling and bringing and there will be a reason for it down the road. Maybe soon, maybe not. Right. But but now as we... Have planted and and, and led a church for 10 years, right? That I don't view success in my hands. I'm not so arrogant now to say, like, they just need some pastoring by Jeremy. Like, that's insane. It's like the Spirit of God has to move. And there are hard conversations, and yet we're trusting Jesus, right? Like, so joy will check our heart motivation, joy will help us fight sin. When we taste joy and difficulty, we can trust that God is at work, which means we belong to Him, right? And church, the final one is this. Joy is powerful to those who don't have it when they see it. Right now, if you're at peace, if you have hope, if you have joy in this world, people are scratching their head going, I don't understand how that is possible. Which is opportunity for you to share the good news of exceeding joy. that The angels shared with the shepherds that for 2,000 years now that we are recipients of, that we continue to get to offer It is shocking and it's strange. It's like walking in Chick-fil-A, right? And they say, it's my pleasure to pick up your trash, right? You're going, that's strange. Like, that's an oddity. It feels stark and I don't know if I believe you, right? When you have joy right now, people think that's strange. It's an oddity. It's stark because it feels so contrasting with everything else in the world. And it's not because you're a better person. It's not because you're a grinning idiot. It's because Jesus is faithful. And He has anchored our souls with hope, with peace, with love, with joy. And it is a true reality that we celebrate by looking back and we anticipate as He comes again. Church, it's why we celebrate this season. And so would this be our prayer? Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Church, that's our prayer for for you, for us this morning. That the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace and believing. That by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come back up. And let's worship with the joy that we have in our living King this morning. Father, thank You that hope and love and peace and joy are not abstract. God, that You have given us joy. So Father, we say thank You. Would we rest in that? Would we trust that? God, if we are fighting, lacking it right now, God, would we enter the fray by entering into community with folks and saying, I'm lacking it. Would we enter it with Your Word? And God, I need You. God, would we not walk out of here without a plan for how to walk in joy? God, would You save in these moments even? Would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? And would you give to those who do not know you yet your salvation and the joy that comes with it? In Jesus' name, amen.